0: The heart of art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Hector Nino. Hello, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. All right, so for today's art announcements, I have um, the theater companies actually presenting Stephen Sondheim's The Frogs, which is a uh, loosely based on a comedy written in 405 BCE uh, by Aristophanes. Um, this will be their last weekend uh, presenting this play, and it will be this Friday to Sunday, uh, 7 p.m., on friday and saturday and 2 p.m on saturday and sunday if you um would like to get some tickets you can go to their website at theatercompany.com and i do recommend that you go get them through the website because they usually sell out on the day of um and we also have the arts council of the brazos valley will be hosting mike durkin who will be sharing um We'll be hosting a sharing circle around Aggie athletics, football, tailgating, traditions, and the impact on the Brazos Valley that these have had. Um, And this will all be uh, a collaborative effort to contribute to the writing of sports play, which is actually um, a performance being made possible by the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts, and this will take place later on in April, but right now they're asking for people to come and share their stories about Aggie Athletics and contribute to the writing of this play. So if this might be of interest to you, make sure to go check that out in the Arts Council of Brazos Valley. All right, now for our guest today, we have Dr. Warren Warren, and he's currently an Instructional Associate Professor here at Texas A&M University and under the Department of Sociology. But he is also a experienced guitarist, and he is also author of Footuplets, which teaches, um, you know, experienced guitarists how to work with quintuplets. So yeah, we have a little discussion about that and about his crazy adventures um, of being a guitarist, and I know you guys will enjoy it. So let's start the show. Hello and welcome everyone to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Warren Warren. And he's currently an in- instructional associate professor at the College of Liberal Arts under the Department of Sociology and is author of a book series titled Footuplets. And it actually currently has three volumes and he's working on a fourth one right now. So hello, Warren. How are you today?
1: Hi, Hector. It's good to be here.
0: Awesome. I, I'm very happy to have you. I don't know much about guitar, so I am willing to be educated on that.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, um, the guitar, of course, is is the coolest and the sexiest of instruments and so everyone wants to play the guitar and 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 i'm an electric i'm an electric guitar player and i play blues and rock in a local band called the bad 455s um oh there's a there's a part of music education that's kind of uh there's a hole in that education a lot of times we skip fives we teach young musicians how to how to play in twos and threes, and everyone's familiar with, with triplets or with sixteenth notes, but it's rare for us to to train, even at the intermediate or the advanced levels, it's rare for us to work with quintuplets, with quintuplet figures. Okay. And so I put together um, a list of a couple of hundred of these uh, quintuplet figures for modern electric rock guitar, and split it out over three books and one book introduces the concept and, and the second book uh, introduces cycles, uh, how to play foot tuplets that repeat okay. and then the third book has uh, musical sequences these five note sequences that slowly move across the octave up or down and yeah and so awesome. that's, those are the three books that are out now right now I'm working on the fourth book which uses chord tones so these are arpeggio figures that again are grouped into five note groupings but that's the thing is that usually we we skip fives we, skip. we joke we joke among musicians that musicians can only count to four mm-hmm. so we just <laughs> We count to four. If you ask us to count to six, we really just count to three twice. Right. Uh, so um, we skip fives and, and fives we skip fives for a reason. And the reason is is that it's an odd number. Like triplets, it's 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 not symmetrical. It doesn't just fall together well. Right. And so it takes a little bit of extra practice. On on the piano, it's actually kind of easy to play a quintuplet figure. Because we've got five fingers, and on the piano you just put your thumb on the C note, and then just staying on the white keys there, you can imagine C, D, E, F, G. And so if you start with your thumb and you play all the way through, C, D, F, G, and then back to the thumb, back to the C, that's a five note figure. You know? Okay. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, one. One, two, three, four, five, one. Right. Yeah. But on the guitar, it's a little bit more complicated, and we have this right hand business where we have to pick down up down up down things begin to get complicated right that's a and, whole other animal and and so we solve this problem by ignoring it okay by, by just not not teaching <laughs> like our students of the things we do <laughs> yeah and and what ends up happening is that uh well i feel like we've got a a five note shaped hole in our music in mm-hmm. in the way that we express ourselves through improvisation okay. now again i'm a i'm a blues musician and And blues music, uh, there are many wonderful things about blues music, but one of the most attractive things about blues is that it it invites improvisation in a real free-form way. Um, It's really only jazz music is comparable, but but even jazz, there are more limitations, I feel, Mm -hmm. Uh, because jazz follows the chord progression a little bit more than blues does. Blues is quite wide open, it's quite free, uh, and it's... uh, Improvisational style. But even within that freedom, we rarely have five note figures, these five note phrases. It's kind of a word that has five syllables. It's rare that we have that. Uh, and it's so common for us to have triplets, especially in blues music. We like triplets. Uh, so we have lots of triplets and lots of 16th note figures. And then some of the modern blues guitarists, like Joe Bonamassa, uh, you know, fantastic guitarists. They, they'll introduce six-note figures, and every now and then they'll sprinkle in these five-note figures. And so kind of the the modern expression within blues is beginning to incorporate these five-note figures. But we haven't had a, a real dedicated workbook to take guitar players from an intermediate level through the advanced level, and they come out the other side and they know how to construct and create with five-note figures. Uh, Figures with quintuplets.
0: Okay, well, I'm really excited to have such um, an educated person (laughs) on music here today, Um, and we will get more into that uh, later on in the interview. But I kind of want to go a little bit about your personal story and Mm -hmm. where you're from and how you got here to the Brazos Valley.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm an Aggie, and so I I got my PhD here a few years ago in the past, Mm -hmm. and uh, and got the opportunity to. uh, to teach and work in New Orleans for a little while, and then and then worked at the University of Central Florida in Orlando. And then my wife and I were invited back, and so now we both teach here in the sociology department. And I've been working with a wonderful band called the Bad 455s, and right. we play all of the fun juke joints and, and all the biker bars and all the fun stuff in that that shadow region between Houston and Austin, we play all those in-between places, so down to Lagrange and and uh, through Waco and all that kind of stuff. Wow, you we have get a, a wide to. area yeah. <laughs> of space, yes. And so, um, and yeah, we've we played a couple of hundred shows together before the pandemic. We actually just as the pandemic hit, we had a run of shows at the third floor cantina in Bryan, and it was a wonderful uh, a wonderful run there, and. And around that time, I was starting to introduce these five note phrases into my blues playing. Mm-hmm. And my bass player was giving me the, the side eye. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? This is not a jazz outfit, you know? Right. This, is, this is blues and rock. But it can still sound kind of rock. And it, it definitely sounds new and fresh. And, and that can be good. So, all right. Um, so then when the pandemic hit, well, we had to cancel all of our, all of our shows, all of our gigs. And, um, and I had this, this box that was filled with, with napkins from Denny's and with post-it notes. And, and I had just written these five-note figures on anything. And I had lo- lots of photos on my phone of, of these five-note figures that I had written down. And I thought I would just organize them into a, a reasonable uh, workbook, again, to take students or people. And again, this is not a, a beginning-level Uh, It's not a beginner's level technique. This is kind of intermediate or advanced, but uh, we all still need to learn. And wherever we are, we need to grow from there and to be able to take the intermediate student and introduce this five note concept. So then I wrote the first book. And what I learned very quickly is that in the 21st century, nobody learns guitar from a book. I'm such an old man. Only old people learn from books. And so everybody, so I put the book on Amazon and everybody's like, we need videos. You got to make the videos. Mm -hmm. So I spent the last 18 months of the pandemic recording about 300 videos to, uh, to illustrate each example in the three books at slow, medium, and fast speed. And and as an academic, I'm more of a book writer than I am a video production specialist, but everybody has to learn something. So uh, so the videos are completed and are now available. And uh, so actually for people who buy this uh, se- series of books through the Kindle or through the Amazon e-reader, uh, the videos are embedded in the e-reader. So it's right there as you're reading wow. it. So I think that's attractive and cool. Definitely. Uh, um, but also lots of people just like to, to get a copy of the book and find the, find the videos and play along with it and try to match it. And then the whole purpose of this is to give the student more tools for improvisation. Right. And so I really encourage people to take these ideas and to take it into a new key or to oh, make a little permutation of it, change a little bit and make it your own right. and, and play it back better than it was.
0: Yeah, that's awesome that you're encouraging people to you know, do more with what they have from what they can receive from you. Yeah. Um, when did you start playing guitar? When did, were you introduced to it?
1: Yeah, I, I started when I was 16 years old on my 16th birthday. Wow. Um, I signed up for guitar lessons and I was real worried that I wouldn't be any good at it. So I I swore my sister to secrecy. Uh, my sister is not a good secret keeper, oh. but I swore her to secrecy.
0: They never are. And,
1: yeah. <laughs> and so, but we would drive over to the next town every Friday and I would take guitar lessons. And even my best friends in high school didn't know about this. Nobody knew except my sister. Um, and I did this for six months, and by accident, uh, my first guitar teacher was one of the best blues and rock guitarists in the region, in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Louisiana. He's, he's a real regional talent uh, named Gary Hutchison in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And Gary's a fantastic top-notch guitar player, and also a wonderful educator and teacher and a very generous musician and and Gary really got me started and after about six months I finally bought my first electric guitar and on the way home from the store I stopped at all all my friends house houses and showed them what I could play and all that kind of stuff exactly yeah (laughs) and and since then I've played guitar every day of my life Mm. so so I got the chance to to go to music school in Minneapolis, and that was a wonderful experience as a young man. And a little bit later in life, I got the chance to uh, live and work in Nashville. Um, And I I realized that, you know, musician is my master status. That's still how I, I think of myself and how I introduce myself to others. But I needed to find something else to pay the bills. And so I... Uh, came back to school, and studied what I liked studying, and it turned into being sociology, and then I was invited to Texas A&M, and this is where I got my PhD, wow. and now I get to come back and teach here, and I get to teach. I have offices next to my old professors uh, over in the academic building, Oh wow! <laughs> and it's wonderful, and actually the academic building, that's where I got my, that's where I defended my dissertation, and when they first called me, Dr. Warren was in that, was in that hall, so that's, a special place for me
0: that's poetic
1: and, yeah and also the tree you know that century tree out front well that's of course where I had to ask my wife to marry me so, Wow! awesome, uh, awesome. so I'm, I'm connected to to this little part of the world
0: yes um, I was wondering whether your extensive background in sociology affected your art of guitar playing and if there's a relationship between the two
1: I, that's a wonderful question uh-huh. I I honestly haven't thought about it mm. um, now that's not entirely true. Okay, so I teach a class in the sociology department. It's called the sociology of popular music. Right. So, so I guess I want to say that my music has influenced my sociology more than my sociology has influenced my music. Right. But that sociology of pop music class, that's a great class. I don't get to teach it every year, but every couple of years I get to teach it. And, and in that class, I'm not the expert on these various fields of music, instead I'm the sociologist. And so each student, I usually have it capped at about 35 or 50 students or so, I have each student identify a specific genre of music, like Korean boy bands or, or you know, West Texas blues music or Mississippi Delta blues music. They'll, they'll find something. Mississippi Delta is something I'm interested in. They always find something that's much more modern and interesting than that. But each student has one genre that they become experts in. And every week I give them assignments on the sociology of audiences, of the fans, of the people who support music. And then the next week we'll just focus on the sociology of the industry and how money is made out of music. And then we'll have another module that just focuses on the dynamics between musicians, sometimes the power dynamics who gets paid the most, who's most important, who's uh, in front, who's in back, those kinds of things. Um, And the students have really enjoyed this, and I love getting to teach it because they're teaching me about their genres of music, the types of music that they love so much. They get to write about it, and they love... They show up ready to do the work. They love getting to write about this this style of music that they want to share with other people, and I just get to read and learn about it.
0: Right, partially because I think... They're having a hand in their own education. You know, they're choosing what uh, music to study as well.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and awesome. and they, they select things that I'd, I wouldn't even know about. And then we learn about it together. But the interesting thing is, is that sociologically, every style, every genre of music, we have things in common. Uh, they all have artists. They all have fans. There's always a musical component by definition. Mm-hmm. There's an industry industry. Uh, even in folk music, where perhaps there's not a, a monetary incentive, um, you'll still have a network for the distribution and the creation of that of that musical style. And so, all forms of music, you kind of learn about that, and you maybe learn about the political nature of some of the music uh, when it's talking about about important issues or uh, the role of music in in revolutions. Mm-hmm. So. Which is another thing, actually, I I wrote a paper about uh, there was a, oh, at the beginning of the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, there was a small country. So these three Baltic countries, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, they were the first to leave uh, the Soviet Union. And little Estonia, which has about 1.3 million people, they had a long tradition of subversive music, of revolutionary music. And um, so when the Soviet tanks rolled into Estonia and came in to take back this little country from breaking away, the Estonians came out and began singing. And, and young and old, the, the babushkas, the old women and the young kids, they all came out and would sing, these songs that they'd been singing for the last 150 years during the Soviet occupation, they began to sing about their independence, and it's singing in their language. And so, thankfully, the the revolution was a bloodless revolution, so no one was killed or injured. Um, and they call it the Estonians call it the singing revolution. Wow. And so, I got a chance to do some research on that.
0: Okay, that's awesome. I definitely see how music has impacted your work in sociology. Yeah, specifically.
1: yeah now yeah. that you mention it, Hector, yes. Definitely.
0: So, I mean, I see that you've been all over the world as well mm-hmm. for, because of music, like Bolivia, Israel, New Zealand. Um, do you have any, like, you know, things you've learned traveling the world or any, you know, funny experiences? Oh,
1: gosh, yeah. No, my... Uh, and actually, in the Phuatuplets books... Um, What i end up doing so the first foot tuplet book is kind of a music theory book so you have to have that to understand how to how to count to five right but the second and the third books it's a little bit like it's a little bit like a catalog or an old-fashioned phone book it's just a whole bunch of musical exercises so after a while it to me it might get a little bit boring so i sprinkle little stories in between the fatuplets so i have a tablet figure number 39 and then i talk a little bit about i don't remember what number 39 was right off the top of my head but but cool. I, we're not holding you to it yeah, <laughs> but I, I get a chance to uh to share a little bit about my experiences mm-hmm. and in the third book uh in the third book actually i have some some photographs of the tour that we took just as the soviet union was beginning to fall so uh, I was a very young man at the time, and I got invited to be a part of a of a a tour that went from uh, really from Poland to Siberia. So it was all the way across Russia. Whoa. And at that point, the Soviet Union was still a thing, but it was beginning to to weaken and and actually i I turned twenty years old uh, in Kiev. And uh, a big Russian wrestler, uh, Ukrainian wrestler, picked me up and threw me into the air twenty times in a row wow. for my birthday. <laughs> and and one of the stories I tell in the book is, uh, well, a repeating story about that time in my life, was just the wonderful hospitality of that that our group found from the people from the Ukraine and from Russia. Uh, these people were so deeply hospitable to us. They were so welcoming. Uh, I'm, I'm a Southern boy. I'm from the South. My mama taught me to say yes, sir and ma'am, and I hold the door open for people. And you know, I mean, this is this is part of my training. And and I kind of like to think that Southerners are hospitable. We're, you know. Uh, we like to say thank you and please and welcome and smile
0: right yeah southern and, hospitality yeah right
1: yeah and and of course, the Russians, the smiling part there's not so much smiling no. they they have a different approach to smiling, which I'm mm. still not familiar or comfortable with but uh but their sense of hospitality was was humbling to me uh, one of the stories that I mentioned in the book, uh we went to a an older woman's house for dinner. And at the end of the dinner, I commented on, on this wonderful painting, an Impressionist style painting that was on the wall. And she told me that her daughter had made this painting in art school when they were studying the Impressionists. And then she took the painting off the wall and gave it to me. Wow. And I turned to my Ukrainian, uh, translator and said, "I cannot take this. There's no way that I'm walking out of here with this, this painting." And the translator, she refused to translate my no. She mm-hmm. refused to say, it, and she said, "It will insult this woman. You have to take this. This is her gift to you." And wow, I'm just, I'm just blown away. Yeah. And there are other, other stories like that as well. That this. Uh, this deep sense of of connection and giving, and of course, it breaks my heart to see uh, to see that part of the world in such turmoil right now. Yeah. My experience as a young man was uh, that Kiev and Lvov these were beautiful places, uh, beautiful places. Uh, yeah. yeah, in Kiev, when I was there. The, uh, The women always had flowers, and we had a couple of young women in our band, and when we would be out walking the streets, people would come up and give them flowers, and even older women would come up and say, you're so beautiful, you should have a flower. Don't just walk around, you should have a flower with you. Wow. So there were always flowers. Um, Yeah, it's uh, wonderful memories, and, and I hope that peace returns to that part of the world soon. Yeah.
0: We're definitely sending our thoughts and prayers that way, because I know they're gonna be needing people to be hospitable to them as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, I had a question about, you know, you've been very invested in both your artistic world with your academic world. How do you balance the two so well?
1: That's a, another good question. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think an important part of that is, is the support of my wife. Uh, mm-hmm. She sees that that I'm two very interesting people. And so she supports me as an academic and she also supports me very much as a musician. Awesome. Uh, she herself is not a musician, but she knows that it's important to me mm-hmm. and and that, that makes all the difference. Yeah, so,
0: having that support yeah. is everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely. Um, do you have any future projects that you'd like to be a part of or that are already in the timeline? <laughs>
1: um oh i'm I'm recording some original music now and awesome. and I'm working with a young songwriter here in town and also my band the bad four fifty fives we're starting to get up and running and and we'll have our first show back on april twenty fourth uh on sunday april twenty fourth It's a fundraiser for uh the other community uh uh radio station in town for awesome. Uh, uh, KEOS.
0: Okay. And where's that going to be at?
1: And I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, so I just know that the 24th and we're rehearsing for it. And okay. so we'll yes. be there.
0: We'll yeah. make sure to people encourage encouraged to go and see that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, to finish up here, I kind of wanted to end with a quote that you have mm-hmm. from uh, your Amazon page. Uh, all the while making sure that photoplets are cool, not intellectual, dangerous not pretentious rock and roll not homework I love that I think that catches your essence so well <laughs> yeah
1: but well, thank you so much thank mm-hmm.
0: you I appreciate it thank you for stopping by thank you mm-hmm. alright well now to end the show We I will leave you with a piece by Dr. Warren Warren and this one's titled I Don't Want to Know and you can hear um, his teachings about quintuplets being heard through this piece so I hope you enjoy Thank you so much to everyone listening. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And make sure to tune in next week for another part of The Heart of Art. Thank you so much.